0: Good. Well, uh, good morning. I'm going to be in John chapter 13. If you want to follow along in your Bible, uh, following along in your Bible is helpful for two reasons. One, it ensures that I'm not making up any of the words, like like your copy of the Bible says the same as my copy. Uh, and two, uh, it's a really great way for you to be able to continue to grow beyond just a sermon, beyond just a message. That you, you have some some framework for that passage, and uh, maybe maybe you want to read the next chapter that follows it. So it's just helpful for your own studies. We're, we're we're beginning or continuing a series that I accidentally began last week. Uh, I didn't know if we were going to do a series, but as it turns out, I've got like three or four of these left in me. We're, we're doing uh, a gospel tune-up uh, series, and kind of the premise of the series is this, is that most Christians, as they, as they kind of walk through life, if they have problems in their day-to-day life, most of the time it's not an issue of their salvation. It's not an issue of them really missing uh, some new truth. They don't need to go to the mechanic to learn a new thing. What most often tends to be the case, and I found this in counseling. I found this in uh, just sitting and talking with folks. Is they just need to be reminded of a truth that they already knew. It's it's kind of like when you get the car out of the sh- you know out of the dealership. It's working perfect, but over time the the pedal sticks, the lock doesn't work right. Over time, little bits of it kind of fall away, and you just you just take it in and get tuned up, right? And so uh, that's that's kind of our idea is that what we want to do is that we want to look at different elements of the Christian life, the life that that you know those of you who are followers of Jesus in here, the life that you. You're trying to lead, and to be honest with you, as, as you know the guy on stage, I'll just I'll just be transparent a little bit. It's hard to just walk one foot in front of another and just be like, "This is what Christ. This is a Christ like life in this moment." Because there are times where I want to be Christ like, and there are times where, like, I just wish nobody knew I was a pastor because I would say some things <laughs> to that guy who cut me off. But but that's just the flesh speaking. There, there are times where it's easier, and there are times when it's harder. But but if you want. To have a Christ-like life, if you want to live in the gospel truths that you have, then every now and then it's good to just review them, and it's good to maybe maybe have a little little bit of a of a tune up. I currently drive a Ford. Uh, please please don't make fun of me. It wasn't my my desire to drive or even own a Ford. Uh, my my truck before it was a Toyota Tacoma, and I love Toyotas. I, I really wanted another Toyota, but but if I had to be honest with you, uh, my Tacoma couldn't handle my trailer, which is why I had to get rid of it. But but if I had to be honest with you, I would I would just drive Toyotas. Toyotas. Are amazing. You hardly really have to do anything to keep these things road worthy. I mean, uh, changing the oil is just a luxury. Don't don't take my mechanical advice. Don't like if you're driving a Toyota, please continue your oil change regimen. I, I never had any problems with my Toyota mechanically. It just drove and drove. And at the time, I was kind of a road warrior. I was always on the road. I was doing 40,000 miles a year in this thing, and it just never let me down. It cranked always. It never had like a a sputtering issue, stuff like that. But but I would have other other random non-essential issues happen. You, you know what I mean? And so uh, one day I found out that my uh, driver's door stopped locking uh, and I couldn't figure out why. Well, it was just a little motor and my door went out and it wasn't an essential. I just like, oh, I'll just lock it manually. It's fine. You know, uh, I had uh, at one point, uh, you know, like a blinker or something goes out and I would go a long while before I changed it. Why? Because it's not essential to the operation of my truck until you see the red and blue lights behind you. Like, oh, it's now an essential. So what, what wasn't an essential became an essential. Uh, Something that also wasn't an essential in my truck was the AC. I didn't really care that my AC went out at one point. Uh, It was the fan blower. Just the motor had kind of puttered out. And so I would just drive around with my windows down. It was fine. I was doing a lot on the road and I could turn up the radio a little bit louder, wind blowing through my hair. It was a non-essential. I didn't need to do anything to fix it. And I even went and bought the part. I bought the the fan blower and was sitting in the backseat of my truck because one day I'm going to fix it. But Again, it's a non-essential. I don't. I don't need an AC for me to drive my truck around uh, until uh, my lovely bride uh, rides with me somewhere. And it turns out my AC is actually an essential part of my truck. It needed to have a working AC. She was, she's like, well, how do you ride around in this thing? It's so hot. It's like, well, I'll just roll the window down. She's like, well, I can't do that. It's going to mess up my hair, you know. And so I, I had to get this AC fixed. And I told her, I said, I'm going, I'm going to get it done. And she gave me another week to get it done, and I just didn't. Why? Because it wasn't an essential. It, it should have been an essential at that point, but it really just wasn't an essential of mine. And one day, I'm in the house, I'm relaxing. I think this might have been before we had kids. I, I just don't remember watching kids at this moment, but, but I'm just relaxing, probably watching TV, and it dawns on me. I haven't seen my wife in like an hour and a half. Like we're both home, but I don't know where she is or what she's doing. And, and about the time it occurs to me, I haven't seen Ashley in a while. She just comes walking in with like, like, like grease on her hand. She's like, I fixed it. I was like, you fixed what? She's like, I fixed the blower on your truck. I was like, no, you couldn't have, have done that. And it turns out. You can learn a lot about YouTube or on YouTube about fixing fan blowers on a Toyota Tacoma. Uh, it wasn't an essential for me, so I didn't care. It didn't have to be done. Uh, but my wife, who is much smarter and wiser than me, is like, no, this this is going to be an essential, and we're going to get it done. I'll let you take care of it yourself. Uh, I didn't, and so it got taken care of on my behalf, and so I had to pay her mechanics fees and all kind of stuff. <laughs> Sometimes we walk through life, uh, and, and we, when, I, when I talk to, to Christians, uh, there are things that we tend to be debating as to whether or not they are essential to our walk, essential to our faith. And some things that Scripture says are absolutely non-negotiable, we take them and we're like, eh, It's a little knock under the hood. It's going to be fine. It still runs, right? It still, it still goes, you know? What the Bible says is essential. We, we don't get to debate that. It it is us who needs to correct, like, is that an essential or is that not? And here's the truth. If we're not careful, if we take a thing that is essential to your Christian life, and we make it a, you know, it's not it's not a big deal, what ends up happening is the equivalent of you riding around in your vehicle with a tow truck pulling you around, and you're just waving at people, pretending that you're doing a great job. At some, like, everybody needs a tow truck, right? But but if you're riding around in a tow truck for like a week or two, just in your Cadillac or whatever, behind the tow truck, getting drug around. Down to work and to the grocery store at some point people are going to look at you and be like you know you might want to get that thing looked at you might want to get it fixed i want to look at a passage today about loving other people and like everybody in here is like oh my gosh i didn't know that was in a bible <laughs> you know like everybody everybody knows that oh christians are supposed to love people even people who do not like christians are like yeah you're supposed to love people like they they use it as a weapon like you're not you're not loving others and and here, here's the case um Loving other people is not like the door lock in my Tacoma or even the AC that I can or can't think is an essential or non-essential. This is basically the engine of the vehicle. For love to not work is basically a broke down car. If if we're not careful, we take the essential of loving other people and we say, Oh, it's not a big deal. I don't I don't have to. I can I can objectify that person, I can talk down to that person, I can demonize that person or that group of people or whatever and in the process we're we're like we're we're needing a mechanic stat and we don't even realize it I want to look at, at John chapter 13, uh, and then we'll flip in a moment to John chapter 15. And 13, 14, 15, and like half of 16 is all the upper room. It's the Lord's Supper narrative, uh, if you will. And so if you can, like in your head, just kind of, kind of place yourself in, in the, in the chronology of, of what's happened. Uh, Jesus, uh, just a few weeks ago, we were doing that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, uh, series. In the third week of that, remember Mary washed Jesus' feet. And it said at the beginning of that, that this was six days before the Passover. So we're now a week later, we're six days later, we're picking up uh, the the next part of the story. And it really matters because the author, John, he he's like, I just finished telling you about Mary and then I told you some other things in chapter 12. And now when we pick up in John chapter 13, he's like, hey, remember that foot washing thing because Jesus is about to wash some feet. He's going to talk about loving people and he's going to make an argument for how essential it is. Um I'm gonna say uh if, if you if you've been around the Bible or, or know something about the Lord's Supper, you know about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Um I, I- I found out, I didn't know this, some denominations consider foot washing uh, um, a, a basic, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a sacrament. It, it's, it's an ordinance that the church does. So at our church, what we believe are two main ordinances, Lord's Supper and Baptism, which we're gonna celebrate in about an hour. Uh, they have a third ordinance. It's, it's Lord's Supper, Baptism and Foot Washing, some Protestant churches. Like, like this narrative right here seems to be so foundational to some other churches that we look at it, it's like, oh man, Jesus just touched some gross feet. Let's, let's kind of back away from it and, and see what we have. So we're a week after Mary washing the feet of Jesus, uh, and we're getting ready for the Passover dinner. Chapter 13, verse 1. It says, now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. "'During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper.' And he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Verse five, then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. There is so much going on in just those few verses to to unpack. First of all, the, the author John, he really wants us to know that Jesus is very much aware of, like, the time is coming soon to an end. He knows what Judas has been up to this entire time. The author, John, he really wants us to see that Jesus isn't walking blindly or in ignorance. He knows very well what, John, uh, what Judas is capable of and what Judas is about to do. And he still walks and, and he gets the, the foot basin. Um, can, just show of hands, uh, who here is absolutely disgusted by feet? You don't want to look at them. You don't want to touch them. None of you? In a room this big, it's got to be like 50%. I don't, like, there's something about, like, grody, nasty feet that, uh, you know, like, my kids will put their feet on me. I'm like, bro, like, I would rather you throw dirt on me. Please get that nasty clodhopper off of me right now. Feet look gross. People don't cut their toenails like they should. Uh, mostly guys. Um, uh, and then and then you got, like, the Frodo Baggins thing where guys are just walking around with, like, hairy toe knuckles, you know? Like, should you trim that? I'm not. I'm not sure what the rules are on that. Every generation, every culture has like this knowledge, feet are gross. And we're talking to people who are wearing laced-up shoes that are covered with, like, you know, Nikes and whatnot. In Jesus's day, they didn't have, like, closed-toe shoes. So we've got folks walking around with sandals, and, and foot washing was a thing. But it was a necessary thing. Because when you're walking around in sandals all day, you can be as clean as, as, as anything. But if you just walk, like, across the street, you've walked through dusty town. Um, I, I, I guess there is some room for getting graphic, but I don't want to get too graphic. Uh, indoor plumbing is a relatively new thing. And so uh, uh, the, the streets uh, were full of, of other forms of dirt than just dirt. We'll leave it at that, okay? And so to walk around, uh, you just knew that that's just part of walking around. You're walking in nastiness all day long. And then you would enter into a house, and it would be like a, a moment of a feast. And what's supposed to happen, especially if you're welcomed or you're introduced as, as a guest of this house, is that the host has provided for you servants, that are much lower than you in status. And their job is to make sure you don't have to have nasty feet during this entire meal, during this entire time. Their job is to just like meet you where you're at and wash your feet. And as they're washing your feet, I I, I don't know of a, a modern-day equivalent, but as they're washing your feet, you're just carrying on your conversation. You don't like pause what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? You don't like talk to the servant. Golly, they're disgusting. They've touched everybody's feet in this house. Just, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, you missed the spot. Yeah, God, tell me. I know. He said what? And like the whole time you're talking over here because this person, this individual who's washing your feet is so far below you in class, it's not even worth your time or energy. It's not that it would have been wrong for you to talk to them, but it wouldn't even cross your mind that you were supposed to. Okay, you, you follow this? It's nasty. It's a nasty job. Jesus is the host of a meal. Not only is he the host, he's getting ready to do this Passover meal, and it's going to be this amazing teaching moment. And and John says Jesus knew that his hour was coming to an end, like the weight of the decision that he was about to make going to the cross was happening. He knew what Judas was up to, and he knew that somebody was about to betray him. And with all of that knowledge— he takes the outer garment off and he just gets down to, you know, less than presentable clothing, uh, something. It'd be like, it'd be like, you know, in modern day equivalent. It'd be like he, he went down to boxers and like an uh, undershirt, but he wraps around his waist. What was his garment, right? The garment that he was wearing. He wraps it around his waist like a, like a towel. And then one by one, he just got down and he would, he wash somebody's feet and he takes his, his shirt, his cloak, and he starts cleaning, scrubbing it off. And yes, it's very disgusting. And 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 in any other situation, you ignore the servant who's doing this because they're so far below you. But every one of these men have been looking up to Jesus for the last three years. They've called him Lord. They've called him teacher. You've got to know. It becomes like you can hear just a needle drop in the room. It's what is he doing? All 12 of the disciples are there, and one by one washes his feet. Quick pop quiz. Did he wash Judas's feet? Yeah. Yeah, he did. This is this is very key to understanding this passage verse 6. He's been washing the disciples' feet. He's I don't know how how many he's washed, but he came to Simon Peter. And you got to love Simon Peter. If you haven't met Peter yet, oh my gosh, you're probably going to like resonate most with Peter. Peter's the guy who's constantly putting his foot in his mouth. And here's one of his key moments where he puts his foot in his mouth. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, "Lord, do you wash my feet? Are are you about to do this to me? Like, yeah, you wash John's feet and Bartholomew's feet. Sure, they were gross, but come on, now you going to wash my feet? I know what I've stepped in, Jesus. You're going to wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, "What I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand." It's a quiet room. Peter's like questioning Jesus, "Are you about to wash my feet?" And Jesus, is like, just look, you're going to understand this in a minute. It's it's a teaching point. Peter, I'm going to teach you something. Let me finish what I'm doing and then I'm going to teach you. And Peter's not having it. Verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet, which is, come on, Peter. Like, have you learned anything about Jesus yet? You've seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration, his face shone with glory. You've seen him walk on water. You walked on water because of Jesus, and then he rescued you. This is Peter, who knows who Jesus is. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm doing a teaching thing. I'm washing people's feet right now. And Peter's like, you're not going to wash my feet. I'm not going to let you. Because in Peter's head, it, it sounds really kind of weird and gregarious. Like, why would he even care? But but you've got to understand, Peter, Peter's already learned to objectify the, the the people who wash feet. He's already learned that you look down on these people, you don't look up to these people. And I already look up to Jesus. I can't, I can't wrap my head around. I already have a class of people in my head that can stoop that low, and Jesus doesn't fit that. And so Jesus, you can't wash my feet. I can't let you. And so Jesus says, Simon Peter, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter, if you don't let me do this, go ahead and leave. I'm either doing this and you get to be a part of our group or you just get up and walk out. If, if you don't let me do this, you have no share with me. And then Peter, he flips the script and he's, Oh, well, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, well, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I love this. He's like, well, if, if, if it takes this, you can, you, you, like, you want to get the, 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 the loofah? Okay. We can, we can, we can scrub down. And Jesus, he's got to laugh a little bit of this. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. He's already hinting that he knows about Jesus. Jesus is trying to tell Peter, I'm about to teach you something. Let me finish washing all these feet. And then he has this argument with Peter. Not not just my feet. You can wash anything you want. Just, Just sit there, Peter, and be quiet. Just let me do what I'm going to do. And you will hear and you'll learn. Verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. John, the author, he really wants us to know that Jesus knows what Judas is about and what he's going to do. And so it says in verse 12, when he had washed their feet, uh, does it say some of their feet? When he had washed only the two disciples that he loves feet... No, he washed all of the disciples' feet. And when Jesus had washed all of their feet, he put on his outer garment and he resumed his place. He he put on that garment, that nasty shirt. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I had to underline that last line. If you know these things... Blessed are you if you do them. I'm I'm going to continue, and then I'll I'll come back and explain some of this. I am not speaking of of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So he's he's hinting at the Holy Spirit. Uh, that, that comes later in this narrative. Two two big things have happened here. After Jesus finishes washing all of the feet of the disciples, he says, uh, you call me teacher and you call me Lord. And you're right, I am your teacher and I'm, I'm your Lord. And and if I'm your teacher and if I'm your Lord, you are not greater than me, but I'm greater than you. Is that right, guys? And the disciples, well, of course. And Peter's like, well, that's why I didn't want you to wash my feet. And he said, Be quiet, Peter. Sit down. Okay, if I, your teacher and your Lord, am willing to stoop to the objectified lowest class of people in the room and wash your stanky, nasty feet in front of you, what do you think that means to your status now? What that means to anybody's status who calls on the name Jesus as Lord is that since you are by definition under your Lord, and Jesus says, okay, great, follow me down. Okay, so we're going to be nice to people? Right, but keep following me. Oh, we're going to be nice to people who are weak? Yeah, keep following me. We're going to be servants? We're going to wash nasty feet? There you are. This is where I'm going. When you read Philippians 2, in fact, if you want to study something, uh, later on your own time, I would, I would encourage you just read chapter 2 of Philippians. And it has this narrative of what Jesus was willing to submit to. Like, one by one, He puts down glory in heaven to become human. Not only human, but then, but then a servant of all. But not only a servant, He humiliates Himself to the very cross. Like, Jesus willingly, knowingly stepped all the way down here. And when you're at the bottom, of the social class, when you're at the bottom of where everybody is objectified, when you're at the bottom of the lowest of the low, where people have looked down on all these people down here, and you're at the bottom and you're the Lord of other people, by definition, those who call on Jesus Lord have to say, I am that low as well. I'm willing to go that low and I'm not above anybody else. Peter's gonna have the hardest time with us. Peter didn't wanna wash anybody's feet. He didn't want anybody to wash his feet. And now Jesus is like, follow me on down here to servanthood, follow me down to loving people. Let me keep going. Verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. That word troubled, it's the same word that we read at the end of the Lazarus story when Jesus saw the pain and the hurt of everybody. It's the exact same word that he was troubled. It's this angst. I imagine it, the next sentence is in red in my Bible uh, because that means that Jesus is speaking. And I imagine what John wants us to know is that when Jesus was troubled, this next sentence, you know when you're trying to talk and you have a lump in your throat? There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of sorrow, maybe a lot of pressure. Maybe it's that feeling you get when you have to do public speaking and you're just like, I, I don't know if I can breathe anymore. I imagine Jesus's voice changed a little bit. It says that Jesus was troubled in the spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you, will betray me. There's just a room of 12 other people. And it's like, one of you will betray me. These 12 people have been Jesus's quote unquote best friends for the last three years. They have followed Jesus. They've seen every miracle he has. They have a brotherhood of looking out for each other. And Jesus is like, I know one of you is going to betray me. So the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. You've got to know, like immediately, you're like, is it that snake over there? No. Well, he went, okay, no. Oh, no, it's not me, right? Peter's like, he's just standing up. He's like, he's trying to show off a little bit. It's definitely not me. It says, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus's side. Real quick, uh, just context clues: we're supposed to understand that this is the author uh, that's sitting next to Jesus. So, as imagine the Lord's Supper. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago that they didn't sit at the table in chairs; they laid, they reclined at the table. And so, when you're laying, kind of at a table, you tend to like all your heads are really close to each other. And so, John is really close to Jesus. And it says in verse 24, Simon Peter motioned to him, uh, we assume John, to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. I love this. Yeah. So Simon Peter, he feels bold enough to look Jesus in the eyes like, you're not washing my feet. I wouldn't let you, right? But then when he's like, oh, one of us is going to, one of us is betraying Jesus, psst. <laughs> he, won't, he won't make the like big public claim. He gets John's attention. John's just like, he's eating a grape or something. He's like, psst. John's looking around and he looks at he looks at Peter and Peter's like hey it says he motions to him like what did that motion look like ask him you know who's gonna betray you know like what what is, what is the what is the motion Peter Peter's silent but he wants to know have you, have you ever been there like he, you hear a rumor and you can't ask because it's kind of rude to ask like Jesus who's gonna betray you but somebody needs to ask so you get your buddy who doesn't know better like, hey you're really close to Jesus Psst. ask him. <laughs> So that disciple, John, uh, leaning back against Jesus said to him, so like the whole room is just dealing with the fact that one of us is going to betray him. John sees the the motion of Peter and he kind of leans back. He says, hey, who's it going to be? He says, says, uh, Lord, who is it? Hey, who's going to betray you? And Jesus answered him, we're, we're to see this as like a really private, almost like a whisper conversation. Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread to when I have dipped it. And so he, he dips it in some oil. He dips the morsel and he turns and he hands it to Judas. Now, Peter doesn't know what's going on, right? And John's like, Oh man. Oh, I knew he was something else. Every time John has mentioned Judas in his gospel, he's like, Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Like, there is no wiggle room for Judas. John really doesn't like Judas very much, is what I I gather from that. And now he knows, because Jesus has given him the, the bread. Verse 27, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered Judas, and Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he, Judas, immediately went out, and it was night. John really loves to like tell us about the time of day, light and dark, and it was night. In, In modern days, if this were a movie, that's when the lightning bolt hits. Like Judas opens the door. He's like, I've got something to take care of. And nobody knows what it is. And when the door slams, sh- 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 lightning hits. And everybody's like, I don't know what that was. And John's like, oh my gosh. I like, what, what do I do with this knowledge? And it says that when he had gone out, verse 31, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. He's like, it's, it's a done deal. The cross is coming. Like it, it, presumably, like it, the 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 clock could have paused a little bit longer, maybe another day or something. But because Judas has now acted on this motion, Jesus is saying all all the dominoes are starting to fall, and it's going to end with me on the cross. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. He's saying, He's saying, guys, what's about to happen is for God's glory. It's going to be scary. You thought that lightning bolt was scary. You thought like, you know, the foot washing thing was weird. I'm telling you all of this, that's going to happen. Though, is for God's glory, little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I have said to the Jews, so now i also say to you where I'm going, you cannot come a new commandment. I give to you that you love one another. All, all of this, like idea of loving one another. I've been reading a lot. Uh, forgive me if that's, you know, wake up, uh, but, All of this, all of this narrative that we just read is where the the command to love one another is is like it's predicated on. And so when, when people talk about Christianity, when they talk about people, Christians, you're supposed to love each other. Right, right. Yeah, we're supposed to Jesus probably taught on that somewhere. He's teaching on this as like his exit strategy. Like this is this is closing remarks before the cross. This is going to be on the test. Uh, all my educators, you just started school. Uh, uh, I hope it's going well. I meant to ask you uh, earlier. Students, if you are in class, just know this. When the bell rings at the end of the class and the teacher says, oh, hey, I just have one more thing to say to you. And they say, you know, two plus two is four, or whatever, right? Uh, they, they say one thing. And it's like at the very end of class, and you know you have a pop quiz the next time you enter class, question, is what was said going to be on the test? yes. Yes. This command that Jesus gives, uh, I'm commanding you to love one another. It comes after the, the 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 Lord's Supper. It comes after Judas is getting ready. Like he's out of time on getting you know lesser important things. This is this is basic, most important. This is an essential that we love one another. And he goes on. He says, "Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another." By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Just as I have loved you, he just sent Judas out and most of the disciples, only John is able to connect the dots that, wait a second, Jesus 10 minutes ago washed Judas's feet and now says, I'm to love others the same way he loved all of us. He set an example for it. It won't be until after the cross that the rest of the disciples connect these dots. Jesus loved the one who is going to betray him. And then he tells his disciples, I need you to follow in my footsteps. This is how low I'm willing to go. I'm willing to love people who are trying to kill me. I'm willing to love people who, who are just dark. I'm willing to love people who uh, are, are going out of their way to hurt us. That's, that's who I love. And I want you to follow in my footsteps. Verse 35 that's up there says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. It's not by how much you know, Christian, Here's where the tune up is. We think that we need others to know that, uh, I'm a disciple of Jesus by, you know, how I treat my family. That's true. There's some truth in that. Or how, how much, uh, you know, uh, you know, how kind I am at the grocery store. That's, that's kind of true. There's a little bit to that. Or who I vote for. Nobody cares who you vote for. No, nobody's become a follower of Jesus because you voted for the right person. Uh, Jesus says they're going to know you're my disciple by how you love one another. Here's the question, guys um, how, how are you doing with loving one another? Like right now, do you have people in your life, uh, that, that you could just like, I just wish I could get rid of them. Like, you know, wouldn't the world be better? Like if I just didn't have to know them ever again, uh, that that's, that's, a, that's, that's, your engine knocking Christian. Okay. Uh, if you have people in your life, teachers, if you have students in your life that you're just like, oh, your engine's knocking. You need to tune up. Uh, uh leaders, anybody who has staff or people that you care for. You've got like one person that like you just to look at them causes like a little cringe, and you're just like, man, I don't know. I'm I'm oh I don't want to put up with her. I just don't. Your engine's knocking. That's not love. See, Jesus's model of love is that he loves the person who is. 10 minutes away from betraying him, he says, I'm going to care for you. Jesus' model of love later is that as he's on the cross, his last prayer to the Father is, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. As they're hitting him and striking him and making him die, he's like, they don't even understand. God, please forgive them. This is the model of love that Jesus says, I want you to to follow. I'm going to run low on time. Let me continue. So Peter, after all this has happened, he's got something to say. God bless him. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? <laughs> that, was, that was the beginning of the sentence. Jesus has already said, hey, I'm going somewhere. You're not going to be able to follow me. And then I want you to love people. And, Jesus, and Peter's like, that's not an essential. Yeah, but where are you going? I want to follow you. Like, wanna, draw me a map or something. And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me, Peter. Uh, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Why can't I go with you? You're missing the point, Peter. you got to love people. Where are you going? I will lay down my life for you. And I think, I think Jesus chuckles a little bit. Will you lay down your life for me? Are you? Are you sure? Are you willing to lay down your life for me? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter is so sure of his ability to follow Jesus. And Jesus is like, are you sure you're going to lay down your life for me? Now we know if you if you follow the story at all, we know that Peter denies Jesus three times, right? But but even before that that denial, uh, Peter like he's ready to kill some dude, right? Uh, when when the the officers and the other people come to get Jesus from the uh, um, uh, where was he? Mount of Olives. Uh, Peter, he's looking at him like, "Hey, we're here to get Jesus." And nobody said, "Hey, Peter, pack a weapon or something." Homeboy had a sword strapped to his hip, and he gets the sword out, and he he. The Bible says that he cuts the guy's ear off. Uh, Guys, can can we just agree that if you're going to pull a sword out and you're swinging it, you're not really aiming for the ear. If you happen to hit the ear, that was an accident, right? Peter wanted to kill this guy. Okay, Peter wanted to just split him right, just like a watermelon. Just take care of him, and he missed. Why? Because he's not good with a sword. He's just Waving it around just like crazy, and it turns out that there's a version of being a follower of Jesus, uh, a follower of Jesus, that is less willing to die for Jesus, but more willing to kill for Jesus. See, Peter says, "Are you sure you're going to lay down your life for me?" And Peter's like, "Yeah, I will," but then he doesn't. He is willing to take somebody else's life for Jesus, but he's not willing to lay down his own life for Jesus. Jesus says, "If you're going to be my disciples, my commandment to you, not option." My commandment to you is that you love others the way that I have loved you. Um, this picks up again in John 15. Uh, John 15, uh, is kind of the same narrative. Uh, I'm going to read through it pretty quickly for the sake of time, but I'm going to start in verse 11. And he says, and he's still in the same room, still having the same conversation. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Christian, listen, uh, the path to joy, you're walking around you haven't had joy in a while. Like, oh, where's my joy? Where's my joy in the Lord? The path to joy is following Jesus's command to love others. He says, I, I told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. He keeps going, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is going to lay down his life for them and us. And he's saying, I'm I'm imploring you, just like I took that servant's robe and went down to the lowest of the low, I'm imploring you, lay down your life for other people, to love them. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. I'm calling you a friend, and my friends are going to love people the way that I love people. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Uh, I'm, I'm going to stop there. I think there are a few more verses, Lucas, but uh, this idea of loving other people, Christian, listen, it's not... Optional. It's not. It's not just a good idea. Uh, uh, You know, being a teacher, being an evangelist, uh, people are called to different spiritual gifts, and and those things. You see differences, but but our capacity to love other people, the lowest of people, is demanded of us. And where we fall short, where we find weakness in our own hearts on that, then we know, Christian, how to pray for ourselves. We don't. We 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 refuse to to make excuses for it. We refuse to tell other people like, well, that's not for you. It's easy to not love them. Go ahead and hate them. And we refuse to fall prey to all of that talk, uh, teachers. We refuse to fall prey to talking bad about administration uh, uh, employees. We refuse to fall prey to dismissing our employers, our leaders who are put over us. Uh, anybody who cares about politics, we. Refuse to fall prey to objectifying whatever politician it is. Why? Because it's demanded of us by our Lord that we love one another. There was an artist. Uh, she has her name is Kia. Kaya or Kia Ora. She's from New Zealand. She has this foot washing series, uh, and uh, I, I love I love art. I love these pictures. So uh, if we can pull up the the first set right here, I just want to show you a few of these images that she has. The foot washing series. What she takes is an image of Jesus washing somebody's feet. And she just keeps changing who it is. Why? Because Jesus would love that person. And it turns out you don't have to agree with everything that that person believes, thinks, says. They don't. They they could be literally trying to kill you. And you still love them by washing their feet. And so she has the series. It turns out just yesterday, I didn't have it in time to put it in the in the sermon, but just yesterday, uh, she had one on uh Jesus washing Judas's feet and Mary washing Jesus' feet. I wish I had that. So just look it up. But it's called uh the the foot washing series. You can go to saltandgoldstore.com to find it. Here, here's Jesus washing the feet of a convict. In orange jumpers, as well as a police officer, that neither neither should be dismissed or written off in society or objectified. Next, uh, recently we had uh, our debate and Roe v. Wade and all all the conversation on that, and and we were told uh, we're supposed to hate this group, and this group was told we're supposed to hate this group, and so this artist she shows you, you know, in the end, you don't have to agree with it, but but you you can stoop to love and wash the feet of no matter which side of that debate you happen to be on. And this idea of just objectifying people and demonizing them is not Christ like. It is not okay to point to a party or a group of people and say they're evil and and dismiss them. Uh, We should love them. Uh, She has some political ones. Uh, I like these. Uh, There's, there's Jesus washing the feet of Trump and Jesus washing the feet of Biden. You will never find which one of these two Jesus would vote for uh, based on scripture. Right, but you will find preachers who will say, "Well, no, Jesus wants you to vote for you know that one or, or that one." It just occurred to me that if I had thought about it, I'd have one on the left and one on the right. I would have flipped them around because of <laughs> politics. But anyway, uh, you you won't find anywhere in Scripture who Jesus would vote for. But here's what you will find is that Jesus says, "Pray for your leaders." Pray for your enemies. Love those who love you and love those who hate you. To demonize anyone is an unacceptable characteristic of a follower of Jesus. And then she has like outside of like debatable things. She has some, some art. Uh, the next one is, uh, one side distracted and one side parenting. And so, so many times when, when we talk about like the Gen Z or millennials or whatever, like, oh, they always have their cell phone out. And then, then we, we do this like objectification, right? The older generation objectifies like, oh, just dismiss. Jesus would have washed their feet. Jesus would have loved them. Jesus loved you before you even knew who he was. Jesus would meet you where you're at no matter no matter where you came from because that's that's the Jesus that we're talking about and then you have this mom with kids climbing all over she can't even pay attention kid night bless her heart uh kids kids be kidding up there but Jesus Jesus is meeting our parents where they're at he loves you moms that are just swamped you're swimming in it the last one i'll put up here she has hundreds of them the last one i have is is really great is uh on this side we have depression Notice the color isn't in the depressed guy because I don't know about you, I've wrestled with depression myself. When you're dealing with depression, the world just is lacking color and Jesus just meets him where he's at. This side is anxiety. This girl's collapsed. Her mind is racing and Jesus stops what he's doing and just sits with her. This, this is the Jesus that I read in scripture. You know what I'm saying? And when Jesus says, love others the way that I've loved you, our love should look like that. The, the art is so beautiful. I want to I get some some of her work. So let me, let me close with this thought. Every, every human you and I have ever met, every one of them, uh, has been a person made in the image of God. You haven't met a human that wasn't made in the image of God. I can flash images of, of Hitler up on the screen, and it turns out he was made in the image of God too. He just was really bad at it, okay? Okay. <laughs> we can go to the mall and we can find some, some girl who thinks that her identity is in how much skin she can show and she doesn't understand who she is. She's made in the image of God too. And that one guy who's really, really mean and just has a bad attitude is kind of the bully at school. He also is made in the image of God. Every human we've ever met is made in the image of God and failure to love anyone, failure to love them, is to betray that knowledge, to betray the truth that they are made in the image of God. You don't have to condone anything that they're doing. You don't have to agree with them. You, you can be opposed to them on every political spectrum and still love them. So here's a challenge. Uh, I would invite you, uh, will you make the choice today to refuse to objectify, demonize, dismiss, shun, or disregard any other image bearers of Christ? Just to make the choice to love them, to lay down your life for them, to lay down your your political agenda for them, to lay down your need to speak in that moment for them and to no longer tolerate when you're seeing it happen around you. People who wave the banner of Christ and then hate on this political party or this political party, they're wasting their time. They are like a clanging gong. That's what Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, quote-unquote the love chapter, is that if you have all of these amazing gifts and you have not love, you might as well be a kid hitting the pots and pans in your mama's kitchen because you're not doing anything beautiful. To love is an essential. And we love others because they're made in the same image of God that we worship. We worship this God, and to hate them or to demonize them or to objectify them is to sin and it's egregious. And we need to we need to be honest with ourselves. When it's time for a tune up, then we know, God, I really need your help loving this person today because I'm not going to do it on my own. And I believe that may be one of the sweetest and most powerful prayers you will pray in your life. Let me pray for you, uh, and then you will be dismissed. There will not be a cue today, Father. Uh, we come to you uh we come to you uh knowing that we fall short of this measurement of loving others. Um Lord, uh, you you seem to be really serious about this and and so father we ask you for your help. We ask for your mercy and 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 grace for where we where we fall short of this naturally. Lord, equip us to love others. Help us to follow this commandment. Help us to love others the way that you've loved us. Remind us of how you've loved us. Remind us of when you met us in our brokenness and help us to meet others in their brokenness as well. Lord, uh, I pray that as we walk out of this room, uh, we will uh, no longer objectify other people. We will no longer dismiss other image bearers of God, and that we would see them, uh, even even the ones who mishandle that image, we would see them and love them uh, and point them back to you. May we be good image bearers of God in that way. Uh, we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.